All right. Well, thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Sorry that we're starting a little bit late. This is uh, October the 14th, 2007. And, uh, gee, I guess we have a topic, sweetie, don't we? <laughs> Why don't you go ahead? Well, um, for those who uh, have been following some of the defu drama that uh, Christina and I have been going through, more so Christina than myself, uh, Christina has not seen her parents for about three years. It'll be three years at the end of this month. And um, we've had relatively little contact with them. They've sent a couple of letters and they've left some angry voicemails. But for some reason, we can't quite figure out because we don't know what's going on. And this has been the case where you know surgeries have occurred and we've hung tough and all this, that, and the other. But now we are getting the drive-bys, and not just the drive-bys, but the coming up to the porch and aggressively and repeatedly ringing the doorbell. And so, brave philosophers that we are, we hide upstairs. <laughs> Fortunately, we only have one car in the driveway, so it doesn't. And it was a, by pure chance. They came by last weekend, and um, they, um, uh, it was just by pure chance because we weren't expecting them. Somebody rang the doorbell, and I thought it was somebody I was working on the fence with, and uh, came down and just happened to see that it was Christina's mom, and she hadn't cupped her hands around the window, so she couldn't see into the house, I guess, at that point. So... Uh, she didn't see me, so then we hid in the... Um, and unfortunately, because we have an open-concept house, if they were to go around the house during the day, they can see into every room. So there's no particular place to hide downstairs. And if they happen to be looking in, when um, we go upstairs, they can see us go upstairs, because, as I said, it's a pretty open-concept house. So yesterday, Christina uh, was driving back uh, from somewhere, and saw their car and couldn't tell what, or their sort of make and, and color of car. And Oh, and they're coming back now. Are they coming back? I'm pretty sure that's them. Do they normally drive with their lights on? Uh, the lights are automatic lights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we have, we have this uh, parental invasion that's going Not on at the them. moment. And uh, they just sort of rang the doorbell as we were getting ready for the show. Christina came upstairs, and now we're upstairs where we can't be seen. And so we have... Uh, we have an, a, a parental eruption on our hands, and uh, it's amazing, of course, how this stuff can just start up after a couple of years of not seeing them, but the, the defu process is long and involved and uh, tends to occur in waves, if that makes any sense. So from that standpoint, it is a, uh, it is a difficult thing. So just, just sort of pointing this out, A, to share, and <laughs> sort of B, to point out that it is not an easy process. And um, we are going to have to send them a uh, – we could try sending a letter, but they seem to be – if they came by last weekend and they came by twice this weekend, well, sooner or later, they're just going to catch us if they keep coming. I mean, right, that's just going to happen. Right? I didn't want it to happen today because we've got a show to run. But uh, sooner or later, they're going to catch us, and then the fireworks are really going to fly. And that's not the end of the world um, because the, the only conversation will be – get off our property or we'll call the cops. That's the only conversation. There's not going to be because they're going to be, oh, why? And, and what did we do? And how can we make it better? And all this, that, and the other. And there is, of course, no possibility of that conversation going forward in any kind of productive way. So it is going to be a pretty savage and unpleasant scene, uh, which, of course, you would naturally expect when you have uh, defood. Because if it wasn't going to be a savage and unpleasant scene then we wouldn't have defood. <laughs> so this is just the inevitability of what occurs in these kinds of situations. And uh, so I just sort of wanted to share with you what's going on. Uh, and, of course, uh, it's 
during the weekend that I'm sort of working hard to finish off the uh, the UPB book. And uh, it's now on its sixth and I think final draft. I'm just going through to make a couple of tweaks, but I'm very pleased with it overall. Thanks again to a couple of listeners who very kindly donated their time and significant portions of their sanity to help uh, me whip this monster into shape. Uh, and it should be out uh, next week. There's been a slight delay in The God of Atheists. My editor got sick. Uh, that's his story, and he seems to be sticking to it, and I have no particular reason to disbelieve him. So there will be a slight delay on that. But don't worry, my friends. It will still be available for the Christmas season. So uh, that's it for our introduction. Uh, do you, if anybody has questions or comments or issues or problems, the show, my friends, is all yours. Okay, sorry about that. They're talking about a sound. There's a whooshing sound in the background. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not coming from us. I, uh, I mean, they can't do much about the whooshing sound. Um, this is, uh, there's just, there's no good technology for recording all these things. I mean, we either go to telephone quality, which is going to have all its own issues, and also is going to cost people to call in, uh, or we go to, you know, we've tried Gizmo. The sound recording quality sucks in Gizmo, and then we have the problem with the whole music, <laughs> and so, and we've tried TalkShoe, and we've tried. Uh, Ventrilo, and we've tried TeamSpeak, and, you know, there's just no good solution. This is the best we have. Unfortunately, what we can't do here in these conference calls, at least that I know of, is to mute people. So if you are on the call and you're not talking, if you could mute yourself, um, that would be great. Otherwise, we'll just have to have the relaxing sound of sand and sea and surf and sky in the background of the show. Oh, yeah, Ventrilo. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't work with Ventrilo because it records in a proprietary format that is not convertible to MP3 or WAV or anything that's actually useful. So can't, uh, can't edit it. And also what I do, since I'm recording on two tracks, um, uh, I can edit out. I can edit out this WAV sound at the end of it, like the sort of the background, sorry, not the WAV sound, the background hissing noise, which I can't do if there's a proprietary piece of software. So that won't help very much, so. All right, so I'm not hearing anybody, but I assume that <laughs> people can uh, can speak. So if you have uh, comments uh, or questions, uh, please uh, feel free to to bring them up now. Was there anything in the window that? Oh, just a bunch of uh, uh, really surprised and, and concerned uh, listeners uh, that my parents have been driving by. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Well, it's absolutely horrible. Uh, and uh, thanks a lot for for people's sympathy about about this this challenge. It is. Um, you know, it, it, it comes in waves, and of course, we should consider ourselves lucky that it was a relatively pain-free couple of years that we've had, uh, and it is, it is absolutely horrible. It's invasive. It's intrusive. It's disrespectful to our stated clear and stated wishes, and uh, it, it, of course, what is happening uh, is they have anxiety about not seeing Christina for some particular reason or another, and rather than try and figure out that anxiety themselves, their solution as it always is in the case with these primitive personalities, their solution is simply to attempt to manage that anxiety by going to see Christina. And uh, this is a, a sad, sad state to be in, in your 70s, but uh, this is the choice that people make to be religious, to be cultural bigots. Uh, this is the choice that people make, and this is where it ends up for them. And there's nothing that can be done other than to hold the fort as best we can and wait for this particular storm to, to subside and it will recur. There will be another set of storms when one of them gets sick. And, uh, um, uh, you know, it, it's hard to get out of a cult, you know. It's, <laughs> it's hard to get out of a cult. You know, people, uh, well, I still get all these 
complaints about FDR as a cult, but you know, when people drop out of this conversation, I don't drive over to their house and ring their doorbell 50 times, circle around and just park around the corner and wait for them to come out. And you know, the, the family is the cult. I mean, we're just trying to, to solve it from this standpoint. Um, Steph, would you recommend that somebody who defoos just move to another place far away from foo, mem foo members? I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. I don't have a particularly strong answer. I would say that it can be easier, but is, is, is it disruptive, right? I mean, we've, uh, we've bought a house. You know, are we going to sell the house and move? And uh, where are we going to move to, right? Because Christina is bound geographically according to her license, which, along with you wonderful listeners, is my lifeline to food sustenance and shelter. So we don't have that particular option. Uh, we could move to some other house and spend a month or two selling this house, go and buy another house, which, I mean, but basically we're talking hundreds of hours of work to avoid a situation. Uh, but um, no, I mean, uh, it will simply come down to, uh, I'm not going to move uh, because there are bad people who are knocking on our door. But what I will do is, uh, well, and that's why it's so great that I'm working from home, that we will simply tell them to get off our property. And if we have to involve the police and get a restraining order, we'll have to do that. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's a shame, but uh, of course, this is one of these situations that, uh, that you would expect them to be invasive and ugly and unpleasant about this, uh, because otherwise we'd still have them in our life, right? I mean, you would expect a cult to come after you. If it didn't come after you, it probably wasn't a cult to begin with, right? So. Uh, I, I don't think, I mean, if you're a student and you have a choice of where to live, or if you're moving out from your parents' house and you have a choice of where to live, I would certainly choose further than closer. But I would not like to think that it's a necessary process unless there's any threat of physical harm, which there isn't, of course, in this case. So uh, then, then, of course, I would do whatever it took to uh, get it to a safe environment. But uh, no, I'm not, uh, not going to move because there's a couple of elderly Greek people on my trail. <laughs> Craig asked, what's the, um, what's the uh, right thing to do or what I would recommend doing in this situation? Well, Steph and I talked about this at, you know, for, for quite a while yesterday and uh, over the last week or so because uh, when, they, when they drove by last week for the first time, uh, I think they did a drive-by about a year and a half ago. They just actually drove by, they, but they didn't ring the bell. I, I happened to see them through the window. Um, but last week was the first time they actually rang the doorbell and... Uh, since then, I've sort of been on walking on eggshells, uh, looking out the window, uh, and you know when the doorbell rings, and I'm not expecting a client. It's a little freaky, <laughs> um, but I, I honestly think the best way to handle this at this particular point is uh, we could send them a fax and say, you know, please don't drive by. Uh, I don't think I think they they do know that I work from home, so I don't think that they're going to try and come by during the day when I have clients. I don't know that they're aware that I also see clients in the evening, so that's a possibility. They might actually try to come by one evening, but I will have clients there, and I don't think that they have the balls to actually interrupt my work. I think they just have too much uh, uh, social... Anxiety uh, about that. Yeah, anxiety about that. And they... Um, I don't think that they would do that. I do think 
that the best thing for for us to do is just to at this particular point just ignore them uh, i had someone else who was harassing me with phone calls that i had sort of uh separated a friend, from right? a friend and the phone calls were incessant and yeah, they a were a couple of day for a couple weeks. of day home phone number and to the point where we had to turn the uh home phone off because it was uh interrupting my sessions and I would have to turn the ringer off on my business phone as well because it was just ringing incessantly. And so um, I just said, you know, I mean, the, the principles of extinction are if you don't respond, the, uh, the behavior will cease after a period of time. There might be a little bit of a flurry of activity, but it will eventually just cease. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm hoping this will happen with my parents. I somehow think that they are going to be a bit more persistent than my friend was. Um, and I think eventually we're going to have to have have to have uh, have it out with them, so to speak. And and having it out with them doesn't mean going into the issues. Having it out with them means saying, you know, I've asked not to see you. Why are you here? Please leave. Yeah, please, uh, please get off our property or we're going to have to call the authorities. So... Yeah, and not in, yeah, and not engaging them, not going into the issues. They're going to want all kinds of questions about what's going. They want me to answer all kinds of questions about what's going on, and uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into that with them. Just please leave. I didn't ask you to come. You weren't invited. Uh, well, we've we've asked not to talk. We've to asked you. you actually not to come by and not to not to not to interrupt us, and uh, we'd like you to leave now. And that's of course going to infuriate them because they they think they've done nothing wrong. <laughs> And it um, doesn't matter how hard I try to explain to them what they have done. That's the issue here. Nothing I can do, nothing I can say will help them understand what has happened. So there's absolutely no point in going into it with them. Um, because they will just turn around and deny every single experience that I've had. Well, and the way to understand this for those who are con contemplating or going through or will go through similar situations is that from their standpoint, they are the parents and Christina is the little love robot that is supposed to provide them what they need, what they want. She's not supposed to make them anxious. She's not supposed to make decisions on her own. So Christina owes them her presence, her contact, her interaction. In the same way that if I lend you $10,000, you owe me that money back. Now, of course, if I lent you $10,000 and you kept avoiding my calls and not answering the doorbell, I would get more and more upset and I would eventually turn to the authorities. Now, of course, here they can't turn to the authorities because there is no contract and there is nothing that is owed, except in their own mind. So the level of aggression that they're going to feel is similar to how you would feel if you were owed an enormous amount of money and somebody kept unjustly avoiding the just payment of a debt. And so from their standpoint, they gambled their whole life, right? They gambled their whole life on Christina having obligation to them as parents, not as good people, not as people who loved her or listened to her or treated her with respect or anything like that. They staked their whole, all the decisions that were made, you know, decades ago, were all made on the basis that they did not have to respect Christina's individuality in order to, to get her time, attention, love, resources, and so on. So they made her go to Greek school, they made her go to church, they made her go to Greek dances, they did not uh, listen to her, they bullied her, they never let her express her opinion, and so on. And all those decisions are decades in the past, and they can't be changed now, and there's no possibility of restitution. Nobody can go back and give Christina the childhood that she so much, uh, so richly deserves. And so now, of course, the decisions are, are so far in the past, there's no possibility of undoing them, but for them, uh, they are the parents. Christina is the 
love robot that is broken and is not providing what she should. And it's incredibly unjust and hurtful and destructive on Christina's part that she's not providing them the love and, and sanction and reward that they so richly deserve by the very act of giving birth to her and feeding and clothing her. So it's very, I mean, it's impossible for them to understand. And of course, deep down, they do understand, but they would put endless amounts of efforts into avoiding that. But uh, this is the price of religiosity. This is the price of conformity. This is the price of social metaphysics, that you are terrified, as they talk about in the book on truth, that you are terrified of self-knowledge and self-awareness on the part of other people and of justice. You are terrified of justice. And uh, so they are, in their own minds, perfectly entitled to Christina's, and, and by time, attention, love, resources, money, whatever. And the fact that she, they're not getting what they want is uh, enraging to them. It is a just debt that is not being repaid. And um, there's no way, this is why I say all of this is a multi-generational project. If you treat your parents with justice, then that is going to condition and color how you parent because you will, if, you, if you sort of hang out with your parents, regardless of whether they're good people, without a doubt unconsciously, you will expect the same from your children, and then your parenting will suffer accordingly, because you will also feel entitled, right? Like, I mean, if you feel that next week you're going to inherit $10 million, you're not polishing up your resume, right? If you don't have to earn the, the values in the future, you don't act to earn them in the present. So uh, this kind of situation is uh, ugly, uh, unpleasant, stressful, but this is how the world changes, not not through Ron Paul, not through articles, not through even posting on the Freedom Main Radio Board, though it's good practice, not through listening to podcasts, but making these kinds of decisions in your life. This is philosophy in action, and uh, it is not pretty, though it is essential. Did we have anyone else who wanted to? No, I think... All right, well, the show is uh, live and uh, it's being recorded, so I haven't actually heard anyone speak. I don't even know if anyone, if we can hear anyone. I can certainly hear the hiss, but um, uh, if somebody could just say hello, then I'll know if the, uh, if the speaking, listening thing uh, in Skype is actually working. Ah, good, it is. All right, uh, so Greg, you had some, uh, we'll just give us a second in case anybody had something more immediate, because I know you have some, uh, some abstract questions, but... Um, if you wanted to, um, if anybody else wanted to ask a question before you move to Greg's theoretical questions, I would be uh, more than happy to, to respond to them. Uh, now would be the time to speak up. All right, Greg, it's all yours. Okay, so um, uh, values. Um, like, like I was mentioning on the board yesterday, I've been thinking about what they are and why they are. And um, forgetting about all that other junk about how they're organized and all that, um, just dealing with um, the, the question of if they are... Uh, if we go on the presumption that we're trying to work toward rational, uh, rational understanding of our values. I'm if sorry, sorry, some... sorry, can't, sorry to interrupt you just when you're starting, but I'm not sure what you mean when you say values. Right, and that's exactly what I'm trying to uh, 
That's what I'm trying to define here. Oh, sorry, you just used the word values, and I wasn't sure if you had assumed the definition or not. But sorry, go ahead. Right. Well, I, I'm saying I'm saying. Um, uh, let me try and reword it here. If uh, if 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 um, oh, is the question what is values? I mean, is that the question? Is that what you're you're asking? Yeah. What are values? Yeah, basically, yeah. What 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 would you define them as, for example? Well, um, utility in achieving a goal would be sort of my my first definition of of values, right? So. A map has value if you want to go somewhere. If you're never going to move anywhere, it has no value, right? So that which aids in the achievement of a goal, uh, the scientific method is, has value, uh, is a valuable tool for, it's the only useful, it's the only valid tool for determining truth about physical reality, logic for rationality, uh, philosophy for virtue. Uh, so uh, I would say it's, uh, it's that which enables you to achieve a goal. I mean, a <laughs> it, it's a neutral term in some ways, uh, although it's often applied in the positive, like uh, like uh, empathy. But um, uh, I would say that a knife has value to a murderer, right? It helps him achieve the the unjust killing of his victim and so on. But, uh, yeah, values, I just say that uh, they are um, ways of uh, uh, whatever is of use uh, in achieving a particular goal, and the virtue of those values depends upon the virtue of the goal. Then what does it mean to say living according to your values? Well, I think it means not living hypocritically, right? So this is sort of what we talk about in terms of parenting and family as well as other things, right? So, so for instance, I mean, uh, um, people say honesty is good, right? And then you're honest with them and they get mad at you. Well, they say honesty is good, right? So honesty is the means by which you achieve intimacy in a relationship. That's their value. The goal is intimacy and the value is honesty. And Well, well expanding the original sentence wouldn't wouldn't the meaning of that original sentence actually mean honesty is the means by which you achieve uh, uh, um, something that is morally good? No, I don't think that honesty is, you know, I mean, if I tell you the right way, uh, honesty is certainly uh, a good in and of itself, right? I mean, if, if you tell me what, what's the way downtown and I give you the wrong directions, it's not like I'm evil and you don't get to shoot me. But uh, so it's not necessarily a, a totally moral goal. But uh, certainly people would say that relationships should be founded on honesty, right? I mean, there's no sane human being who would really say, no, good relationships are founded on lies, manipulation, falsehood, and bullying, or whatever, right? So when you say living according to your values, if people say, well, intimacy is a value and honesty is, a, is, is the means, then we should be on. But then if you're honest and they attack you, then, uh, of course, what they should do is they should say, well, then honesty is no longer a value, because I'm attacking someone for being honest. But what happens is they always say, no, honesty is still a value, and I get to attack people for being honest. So it is both a value and a threat at the same time. And that's what I think it means to not live according to your values. Because if you attack that which you value, you have to logically stop valuing it, right? But people want to have their cake and eat it too. So would you, see, would you say that there is a difference there's a distinction to be made between a, a value and a good. Uh, can you tell me what you mean by a good? Like, because you, uh, you called honesty uh, good in, in and of itself, uh, as well as a value, correct? Well, sure, but you can have uh, a, va a democracy is a great, a, of great value 
to uh, politicians right. or, or to uh, people who want to get their hand in the public trough, to, to interest groups and, and lobbyists and so on. But obviously democracy is not moral. So, so then to say something like living according to your values is really uh, to, to say something that's essentially morally neutral. Yes, because that's if true. I'm, if my if my if my goals are essentially evil goals, then if I'm living according to my values, I'm going to value things like uh, fraud and murder and theft and so on. Well, I think that's very true, but I would say that there is no way to live with integrity uh, in accordance with values that are false. Right. I mean, that's one of the arguments in the UPB book, right? That that you, if you don't have rational values, it's impossible to live with integrity. So a thief What's obviously a, has no, there's no capacity to live with integrity, because he both violates and affirms property rights simultaneously. What's a false value? Um, sorry, uh, it's impossible. Sorry, it's impossible to live with integrity with inconsistent values. Right, so a value could be for a thief. I want to own this piece of. I want to steal this piece of property, which means that they say property rights are good for me, but bad for you. So that's not living with inconsistency. Right? Sorry, that's living inconsistently. Okay. Okay. All right. So. All right. So it's just a confusion and. Yeah. Sorry, that was my uh, my injection of a confusing term, but, but yeah, I would say that that um, uh, inconsistent values are, are inevitable when you have uh, uh, an irrational philosophy. It's impossible to live in accordance with your values if your values are contradictory, and your values will be contradictory inevitably if, um, uh, if it turns out that you don't have a rational philosophy, right? So this Spaghetti Monster fellow who was on the boards recently, he sent me this, as I mentioned on the board, he sent me this post, which was you know, all, all, all fired and bitchy about not ever using sarcasm. And then at the end, he was like, well, congratulations on being the first cult leader of the new century, or whatever it was, right? I mean, just this, you know, incredibly sarcastic, right? So this is somebody who's not living according to his values, which, of course, he can't because he's being emotionally defensive, which means hypocritical, which means socially corrupt. So, uh, so, so it's just impossible, right? And, and you see this all the time, right? Uh, everybody says that uh, uh, democracy... Uh, is valid because it's voluntary, right? So I'm getting these interviews from someone, interview questions from someone who's saying, well, but democracy is voluntary, right? And it's like, well, what the hell are the guns for then? Uh, if voluntary is the value, then democracy is the evil, right? But they, they want to sort of have their cake and eat it too, right? That that the guns are needed for those who don't agree with the fact that it's voluntary, right? I mean, it's it's a real kind of squelchy and quicksandy madness, but this is uh, but very common. It, if he expressed a desire for an involuntary uh, social organization than to call political system X a value would be consistent. Would no, no, it can't be because, uh, because of UPB, you can't say that only the government can use violence, right? Violence is either good or oh. bad, right? You can't just sort of say, well, democracy is good because this little fenced-off area of politicians and cops can use violence, but no one else can. So then, even then, it's impossible. And even in the interaction, if he says that uh, violence, uh, I would like to hear your rational response to the argument that violence is good. Well, why would you want a rational response if violence is good? You should want a violent response, right? So then, in a sense, what you're saying is that consistency is either a good in and of itself, 
or somehow a value in and of itself. Well, you right? said because living, living, with, everything is living in accordance with your values, right? That that you say. Okay. So so living in accordance with your values is only possible um, if your values go through UPB, right? Go through some sort of process of being validated according to logic and evidence. Oh. Okay. So then, right? So. It, all right, so it's a self. It's the 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 idea is a self detonating proposition. Then to say, uh, I want to live not in accordance with my own values. Well, I mean, the, the logical self detonation. Sorry, the, the logical self detonation of the statement there is my values. Right? There's no such thing as my values that you could live in accordance it, with. That's just whim based philosophy. That's just hedonism. Right? Right. I mean, in my values to me is a, is a. I mean, then you're just saying it's personal preference. Everything is personal preference. If you say living live in accordance with rational values, live in accordance with consistent values, live in accordance with universal values, that's di but that's the opposite of my values, so to speak, right? But if my goal is not to drive anywhere, then um, a map isn't going to be a value for me, right? Sure. But a map is a personal preference, right? But when people say live in accordance with values, what they mean uh, is that it's with reference to some external standard of truth or, or validation, right? And that external standard being? Well, rationality, evidence, whatever, right? UPB. But if somebody says, I want to live in accordance with my values, and then you say, well, what are values? And they say, well, it's whatever I want in the moment. Then it's a tautology, right? Because what they're saying is, I want to do that which I want to do. It's like, well, so what? <laughs> coke is coke, right? So I haven't added anything to the, to the sum total of knowledge or even any total of knowledge to, you know, it's just saying a tree is a tree. Well, A is A. Aristotle did that <laughs> 2,500 years or, ago. Or, There's no point, right? Or in the case of the murderer, I want to live in accordance with the utility of the knife I'm holding. Well, sure, but, but that's, I mean... Since he is a murderer, that's what he's doing. I mean, then then you're just defining any he he would just be defining the good as that which he is currently doing, which is both to unite the good, which is an objective concept, with his own subjective preference, which is to say subjectivity is exactly the same as objectivity, which is a contradiction. And 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 in the same way, defining the knife as uh, his value, in other words, defining value as that which uh, permits him to do what he wants do whatever he wants. Right, right. Which, of course, and of course, you have to have a concept of uh, value that transcends the animal kingdom, right? Because we don't have the social contract with, with bugs and reptiles. And so, uh, obviously, a shark does what it wants to do, right? I mean, <laughs> you don't reason a shark out of wanting your leg. I mean, you can try, but uh, unless it's the mechanical right. shark in Jaws, you're not going to have much luck. So, um, so, of course, saying that whatever is the good is what, is it, what I currently want to do well, that also includes in the social contract of moral virtue an amoeba absorbing another amoeba, right? So uh, that really can't work, right? So there are, in fact, some things that we might want that we shouldn't want. Um, well, sure. I mean, for sure. There, there are some things that we want. And, of course, there's no possibility, really, of, of arguing somebody out of an irrational desire. We all know that from beating our heads against Christianity. But where the weakness arises is when somebody uses a moral justification for their actions, right? That's, it's the moral proposition that they put forward to justify their actions that philosophy can swoop in and peck to death. Right, but, but isn't, uh, isn't, 
isn't what what I just uh, stated a moral proposition in and of itself? What was it that you stated? I mean, to say that there are some things that we might or do want that we shouldn't want. Isn't that a moral statement? I wouldn't say so because I don't think that we have any control over our desires. We have a control over our actions. Uh, but we have no direct control over our desires, right? I can choose not to eat, but I can't choose to not get hungry. So, so not all normative assertions are morality. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I would certainly say that if you say that a particular action is universally right or wrong, then this is something that can be evaluated by philosophy. Right? If, you say, if someone says, if you say, why did I rape that girl? Just because I felt like it. Right? Even that is, anytime anybody comes up with an explanation of their behavior, then um, obviously if somebody says, well, in response to the question, why did you rape that girl? Because I felt like it. It's like, so is it right to do what you feel like? Yes. Is it, is it right for everyone or just for you? Right? And if they, at the moment they say it's, it's right as a principle, take what you want, you know, kill or be killed, survival of the fittest, jungle, law of the jungle, or whatever then uh, they, of course, have put up an insurmountable contradiction, which the UPB book goes into in <laughs> near detail, right? <laughs> so, but if they just right. say everyone should do whatever they want, well, then, of course, the, that, then again, that's the same problem because she's a woman doesn't want to be raped, otherwise it's not raped. So. But if, if somebody just says, like, just stares at you stupidly or whatever or just stares at you and doesn't answer, philosophy can't do anything about that, right? Like, this is, this is the brick wall of faith, right? If somebody says, I believe in God just because I believe in God, right? Which is basically what faith is. It's a tautology. What right. is the justification for my belief? My belief, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you can't penetrate that with any philosophy other than to say right. that's a tautology and you've proven nothing and you know nothing. You're just asserting knowledge. In the, and they're going to say, it doesn't matter. My proof is my proof. I am my own proof. My belief is my own proof. But the moment they say God exists because... X, Y, and Z, then they, they've opened themselves to, um, to an objective analysis. Okay, the, 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 uh, the, the use of the word because requires reasoning, and reasoning is subject to uh, rationality and empiricism. Yeah, like if somebody says that democracy is valid because the people choose their governments, right? Then they've, right. they've put forward a proposition which is moral which is universal and, and therefore is open to analysis, the analysis being, but there's a gun in the room. So the blank stare or the, or the faith response would be essentially equivalent to saying, I don't know and I don't care, I'm just going to act. Well, it's, it's a shock with language, basically, right? I mean, the shock right. just says, I eat because I'm hungry. And right. Well, he's not even. Well, he, in a real sense, I mean, he's not even getting to the because. He's just. I eat because I eat. Right. He's biologically determined to do what he's doing. Right. I mean, the shock, right. the equivalent to faith, from a religious standpoint, is the shock uh, saying to you, "I eat because I eat." Right. There's no. Right. There's no moral proposition there whatsoever. Right. But but of course. You can always nail the Christian who says, I believe because I believe. It's like, do you believe because there is a God that exists somewhere out there, or do you believe in a fantasy of a God that is internal to you? Right, and, and then he starts getting into rationalization. Yeah, as soon as he says that there's a God that exists out there, and my belief is empirically derived from that God, or the existence of that God, then bang, they're right back in the arena, and you can take him down, right? So, so the, the, uh, then the... Um the, the 
See, I'm, what I'm trying to sort out is... Where a value, because val, uh, the word value implies an evaluation, right? That the beholder assigns a certain importance to an object, right? The object doesn't have that importance intrinsically. It's, it's assigned by the beholder. So if some values are universal... There has to be a way to to show how that's true uh, in the absence of looking for it in the molecules, if you know what I mean. Well, sure, but I mean, I don't think you can say that values are universal. You can say that statements that claim to be universal about values must be universal. But I mean, I think that that's the UPB thing, right? Which is that. Oh, and, right. And then 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 by consequence. Anything that's valued under that system would be, uh, as a product of that system of thought, assign the label universal value, but wouldn't actually be a universal value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the, there's no bone in a dog called canine, right? Canine is a categorization, which is a whole bunch of definitions that I assume are pretty logical and well worked out in the biological arena. But then if I suddenly say canine includes uh, things with wings that burst into flame and swim underwater, right? Then, then clearly I am no longer conforming to my own definition of canine. So canine doesn't exist in the real world. Values don't exist in the real world. But the moment that you say that this is the definition of canine, then it's subject to rational analysis, right? Same way if you say this is the definition of the good, it's subject to rational analysis. But what you can't do is say there's a definition of canine, which is my dog, right? Because <laughs> there is no definition of an individual item, right? It's something that a singular cannot be defined because it is but its own thing, right? You have to look for things that are common in order for there to be conceptual definitions. So if somebody says this is a category, they can't say it only applies to a particular instance, right? I can't say canine is my dog today and not tomorrow, right? Because it's a useless concept. It's not a concept at all because it doesn't describe commonality. In the same way, you can't say the good is what I do today, right? Because the good is a, a concept that must identify common characteristics across different entities or, or concepts or other concepts or whatever. So you can't define what is universal as what is personal because the whole point of universal is it transcends the personal. Right. It's, it's, a, um, it's, it's a classification, not a spec specification. Right, right, right. And the moment it has a classification, then it has to describe common aspects of something, some things, right? And then it's open to uh, rational analysis and empirical observation and all that good stuff. So the definition of a value then in your terms is what exactly again? Just oh, whatever is useful to recap. achieve an end. Whatever is useful to, to achieve an end. So anything that has utility. And ends are only those things that individuals can have, correct? Yeah, sure. For, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, so, the scientific method doesn't invent itself or find itself useful. So, so, so our definitions are very similar then um, of a value. As, as I was sort of formulating in my head, a value is a an assignment of importance according to an individual's purposes or goals. 
Yeah, for sure. And from there, you get a... Just another way of saying what you said. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a compared to what situation, right? Valuable compared to what? Well, cutting my toenails is valuable to getting into tight shoes. It's not valuable for driving to Chicago or whatever, right? So... Uh, so it's all it's always relative to what, and there are of course uh, ways of of measuring particular goals or activities relative to the stated end goal, uh, the end game, and you can assign a hierarchy of values based on that, right? So uh, it's uh, you know it's important to apply to university to get into university. Uh, it may help to brush your teeth, but it's not essential, right? <laughs> so uh, relative to the goal, right? So compared to what? Compared to the goal, and so that you can get a whole complex hierarchy of values, a whole sort of org chart of of values. Uh, relative to your your stated goal, right, and and then you measure those activities relative to the sequence that aids them achieve that. So then, so then values really are. If if values are something that are relative to an individual. Well, no, they're not. They're they're relative to stated goal, right? So if I say my stated goal is to say something true about the universe, then I have to use a scientific method, right? Because your question is, are they objective or subjective, right? Right. Well, if my goal is objective, the values have to be subjective. They have to be objective, right? If my goal is subjective, then the values are subjective, right? Okay. Um, if my goal is to make an objectively true statement, I have to use objective methodologies, right? Like rationality, science, evidence, blah, blah, blah. If my goal is subjective, then I can if I want, but it's not necessary to use. Um, oh, okay. All right. I, I understand now. I understand. We're not, we're not actually assigning objective and subjective to, to the category of value at that point in time. We're just... It's the goal that we assign it. it, it but the, the category assumes that uh, characteristic by the things that are in it. So if the things that are in it are the scientific method or logic or empiricism, then the category itself as assumes the characteristic of being objective. So then in that case, those goal, those values would be objective because those values are objective. No, I would say that the values are neutral. It, they, they, they change depending on the goal. If the goal is to make an objectively true statement, then you need to use objective methodologies. So the objective methodologies have value, and subjective or merely personally asserted preference does not. So it's the goal. In that case. Right, so you can't say, uh, does east have value relative to west? Well, it doesn't matter. It depends where you want to drive. If you want to drive east, then east have value. If you, if you want to drive west, then it doesn't. It's the destination that determines how you uh, judge the, uh, the, the values. Right, right, right. But what I'm saying is, value a value as a values as a category is is neither subjective nor objective. Then it's it, the category earns the characteristic by the referent members. No, by the goal. The group, right. Right. See, so you you keep dropping the goal from the your definition. But you can't you can't say that values become objective or subjective depending on values because that's self-referential. But the, self the, the, in, the individual the individual reference are are what is objective or so subjective based upon my goal. Yes. Not the category not the category values. That's correct. But the okay so okay all right yeah then then we're on the same page. Right and again just just to beat the metaphor to death the value <laughs> is the equivalent to direction right direction is a category and east or west has value depending on your destination goal. Got it. Got it.
Okay. Um, that was too easy. Come on, bring up another complication, I dare you. Come on, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Let's just take a pause here uh, in case anybody else has anything that they want to, uh, to, to mention or to talk about. The show is yours, my brothers and sisters. Speak up if you wish. I think... Uh... <laughs> we can wait all day. Don't make me burst into song. You can tap it into the window, too. Was there anything else that came into the window? We can wait, we can wait. Well, he is certainly welcome to ask the question, because I'm not editing any more of these damn files. It takes half a day, so if there's a three-minute gap in here, by God, there's just a three-minute gap in here. So <laughs> feel free to, uh, to speak up now. It is a live show. You're here for a reason. Not just to get first dibs on the silver-tongued devils of Greg's questions, but to ask questions <laughs> yourselves. Uh, David says he'll jump in. Go for it, Mr. D. What? Go ahead, David. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Um... I uh, wanted to talk about the police. The band? Uh, and specifically, uh, love the love, They've reformed the Baby and they're touring again. I think they might release a new album, but anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah, they played uh, down in uh, Fenway Park a couple weeks ago, or uh, months ago now, I guess. I think I can't uh, even count the number of times I've seen Sting in concert, but uh, he's, uh, he's pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, okay, so I wanted to talk about... Um, the police, as in the people wielding the guns. Yes. Um, and more specifically, my my reaction to just some of the things that uh, uh, some of the things that the police do. Um, it's it's something that that I think you and I spoke about briefly at the uh, over the um, the University of Florida kid, the the guy who uh, got tased asking a question of uh, John Kerry. Yes. And uh, and it's something that came up again. Um, that I was able to process a little more um, uh, when um, someone posted, or I think it was you who posted the uh, the video of the, God, what was she, 14, 15-year-old kid getting getting uh, pepper sprayed and, and hit in the head and uh, had her uh, face slammed off the, the front of a, of a cop cruiser? Yes. Um, and, and I really have a, a tough time understanding my reaction to that. I was... Wondering if if, um, if this is something that that might be worth uh, discussing here, or might be better suited for a private chat. Well, I uh, don't believe that we have uh, an unbearably huge queue of people willing to talk, so uh, I'm more than happy to, okay. uh, to to talk about it now if it's all right with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's fine with me too. Um, so I, I really uh, feel conflicted because uh, on the one hand, I really. I really don't think that there should be police. I, I, I'm an anarchist, uh, obviously. I, uh, it's it's hard to listen to your podcast for very long without becoming an, anar an anarchist because it just makes so much damn sense. Oh, I thought it's just um, people gave up. Fine, <laughs> <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> okay, <go ahead. laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they're just uh, crying. Uncle. All right, right. <laughs> um. No, but uh, I I don't think that there should be police. But uh, when I see these these videos of, of 
people being, uh, or read these stories of people being abused by the police. Um, and it's something that, especially where it seems like the problem is so easily solvable uh, by the, uh, or preventable by, by the person being beaten, it's like, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just, you know, submit to the, to the cop and just, and just let them put, put the cuffs on and let them get you into the back of the car because there's no way you're getting out of that situation uh, without either the, without the cuffs being on. And whether, it's, uh, whether it happens calmly or whether you have to uh, get all bruised and, and potentially killed uh, trying to prevent it from happening, um, I, I really get these two conflicting feelings. It's like I feel, I feel anger at the police uh, for, for doing this, but I also feel, and am and, and more prone to act on, the anger I feel towards, I don't want to say, it's actually, it's not anger, it's, it's I feel anxiety. And I want to, um, uh, most people uh, on the boards react saying, like, the police really shouldn't be doing that. And that's going through my head, too. But, but my reaction is, listen, the, the girl should, should shut up and, and do as she's told. Right. So, I mean, for you, it's sort of like if you wear a, a bunch of red uh, clothing and jump up and down in front of a rabid bull, you're going to get gored. And, yeah, getting gored is terrible. Right. But what the hell were you doing? Right. And, and I... I I think part of it might be that I, I've just given up on the police, trying to reform the police. Uh, that it's just, it's not going to work. If I was there, what could I do? If I was, like, that's what I do. I put myself in the situation where I'm, I'm standing there watching, well, what do I do? Do I yell at the police? Like, well, no, it's not going to do anything. But if you, if you, if you convince the girl to, to not resist arrest, then, then she doesn't get her face cracked open. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. I certainly agree with that. Um, and I'm guessing that you're not black. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a white. Right, right. So you know, hunky hunky to hunky, uh, it is hard for us to uh, understand the relationship, particularly in the U.S., between the black community and the police, because you and I. We get harassed by the IRS on a bad day, right? If something bad happens or whatever, right? Then that's that's it, and it's polite letters, and we call a lawyer, and this and that, right? But the um, the prevalence uh, of police abuses in the black community uh, in the inner cities, uh, particularly in America, this also occurs in the Hispanic community, of course, is something that you and I find very hard to to appreciate, I think, and to and to understand. Uh, there are very few, and like in certain neighborhoods, there are very few black families that haven't had a member of their family thrown in jail unjustly. And by unjustly, I mean because of something like the drug laws or you know something that's just made up nonsense. Um, okay. So there is a, um, a different country that particularly poor blacks live in. And it's not just poor blacks. I mean, it's poor whites too, but just to focus on this particular situation. Uh, and of course, the most frustrating aspect is that you would expect the black community to be natural anarchists, right? Because they do suffer so much more than your average whitey at the hands of the police and at the hands of the state. But, unfortunately, there is a collectivist culture combined with a very strong religiosity that, um, that, that prevents anarchists from making much inroads into the black community, right? So, because, you know, it shouldn't be hard to turn Jews against Nazis uh, but unfortunately, in this situation, it is, right? So if this girl has been brought up and has seen her older brother dragged off to jail, 
sees no economic job opportunities for herself, has grown up probably, again, sort of all odds, in a broken home, in a neighborhood with nothing but broken homes, sees no future, right? Because the, the discipline that you and I have in life is largely relative to the things that we can achieve, right? So it, this is something I argued about way back in podcasts on, on Teenage, it's one of the five-part series on the family. But um, uh, th th there's no goodies that society can hand out to these people. I mean, they go to shitty schools. They're, they live in constant terror of violence uh, and rape uh, and uh, impregnation. AIDS is, is significant. Uh, the number of drug addicts is, is high. And again, this is not black community in general. I'm just talking about specific geographical areas. And uh, right. this also occurs in other communities, but just to focus on this. So this girl has been terrorized her whole life. She's been taught to, to be afraid of the police. Right? There's this old uh, thing that... Um, Oh, what's this blobby? The Supreme Court justice guy, uh, the pubic hair and the can of Coke guy, was talking about uh, <laughs> where he says, you know, and he was brought up, you're not allowed to look a white woman in the eye because you're accused of rape and this and that and the other. But Clarence, Clarence Thomas, Thomas, yeah. The, these, uh, the, these black people uh, raised, you don't ever look a cop in the eye. If a cop's coming, you cross the street. That mildly uneasy feeling that you and I get. When we're driving down a highway going 115, or I guess in U.S. currency, something lower, uh, when the cop comes, it's like, ooh, is, is he going to come out? And we feel like the zebra going past the lions. Is he hungry? Is he going to come out? Is, you know? Well, that occurs a couple of times a day with far worse terror for people in the black community. Right? So they, they live in a complete state of nature. I mean, these, these welfare gulags are not far off. I would argue, from concentration camps. You have the unions and the minimum wages that are detonating the capacity for these people to get a leg up through uh, honest labor. Uh, you have these unbelievably terrible schools where they graduate barely able to read and write. Uh, you have a decrease because of government regulation and uh, restrictions on capital investment in sort of heavy equipment uh, areas. You don't get the same kind of jobs that allow people to climb out of the, the poorest of the poor situations. You have endemic and chronic drug use. You have the endless temptations of drug dealing and that kind of profitability where you slip from a cultural terror and rage against police to a literal quasi, you know, you're in the gray market, you're in the black market. You have a culture, of course, that is the rap culture that largely glorifies this, right? You see the, um, the rap guys on the videos, right? The black guys with the big shiny white cars and the sunglasses and the white suits, and you know they're not getting there because they opened up a couple of Starbucks and worked hard, right? So... There is a, an inc incredibly different America for these kinds of people. And so, so that's, that, that sort of explains um, why she reacted like that, so terrified of, of being arrested and so terrified of, of being hassled by the police for anything. Well, it's, it's, more, I mean, it's more than hassled. Is that what you're getting at? Well, or? it's more than hassled. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that they can, I mean, the police can, can plant a drug on you at any time, right? I mean, the problem with the drug stuff is, is not just, I mean, all the stuff that we've talked about, but the fact that there's no actual complainant, right? There's so, so the police right. become the complainant. They can plant drugs on you. They can control you. So, of course, if there were people, if, if, if like a third or a quarter of the people on your street had been thrown into concentration camps, you'd be pretty testy and, and pissed off too, right? Right. And, of course, when the people are in these prisons, you know, they're getting raped, they're getting abused, they're getting starved, they're getting, you know, locked in solitary, they're going through the most heinous abuses, right? And the people are always like, oh, my God, we shouldn't torture the people who are Al-Qaeda, and, and America has just gone through this terrible situation where they allow torture of enemy combatants, and the Geneva Convention is like, fuck that, the prisons, 
the prisons yep. are the torture gulags of Western society, particularly American society, a vicious, overcrowding, brutal and sadistic uh, guards. And, and uh, this, of course, is just the distraction that it's, you know, a couple of hundred people in Guantanamo Bay rather than the over one million or two million, I think it is by now, uh, prison population in the United States. So, I, th- I mean, of course, you and I would look at the judgment of a, of a girl saying, look, just, just smile, say yes, sir, no, sir, do what you and I do when we're pulled over. But their experience of, of the police is wildly different from our experience of the police. And so I think if you have some empathy, because what you're doing is you're putting yourself in her situation and saying, well, I would never act like that. Why is she being so stupid? But that I would not say, it's not true empathy to put yourself in somebody else's position and say, how would I act? You have to try and put yourself in somebody else's skull and understand how that could be a behavior that would result from... Uh, like, how could circumstances have come about that that behavior would seem like a good idea or something? And again, it doesn't mean that you excuse or forgive that behavior. And I would certainly, Chris Rock has this thing about, you know, how to talk to cops kind of thing. And, you know, it's like, don't scream at them. Don't insult their mothers. Don't, you know, and the other, of course, like travel with a white guy is the other thing, right? <laughs> That's like preppy looking right. white guy in a suit right. in the passenger seat, right? But... um uh, I would say that the real empathy, that the, where you were, where you got to, which was great, is like, well, in my if I were in that situation, I'd behave very differently. But uh, unfortunately, right. that's not like you grew up not living that situation. So putting yourself in that situation now, I think, is only getting halfway to empathy, if that makes sense. Right. Sorry, that was such a long right. answer. I'll let you talk it, now. <laughs> no, that that makes sense um, as to why I didn't I didn't feel empathy for it right there, but it, it's. It's the same thing happened when when the white guy got the white Andrew Meyer guy got got tased, uh, and uh, whenever I see these police arresting people or uh, you know honkies too, uh, I, I go into this like well, why don't you just follow the law? Why, why don't you just obey the curfew? Why don't you just uh, you know not cut people in line? Why don't you just uh, uh, um, Lauren Canario the um, who recently uh, signed up on the FDR boards. Uh, got arrested for not having a license, uh, just refusing to have a license on principle. And it's like, how can I go and, and hold a sign for her? I mean, it's it, it's it's nonsense. I mean, of course she shouldn't be arrested, but of course Andrew Meyer shouldn't be tased, and, and of course um, this uh, the the girl um, the the black girl from the uh, from the video we were talking about uh, shouldn't get tased. But it's like I I I don't feel empathy for any of them. You don't feel empathy for any of them, okay? Uh, and it's because be, be, because because it, it just seems like it's such a um, I, it's it seems like it's such a, a a simple thing. It's like, well, yeah, just make a different choice. And I, I don't think it's because I can't sympathize with 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 the black plight, although of course I can't. Uh, 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 I, I I don't as well as uh, you know, the, the honky getting getting hassled by the IRS, but it. It's just, I, I think it's broader than that. I think it's broader than that for me. Well, let me ask you something then. If, um, if, uh, if it became illegal to listen to Free Domain Radio podcasts, would you stop doing that? <sighs> I don't know. What about if it became illegal to read I... books by uh, anything other than government-approved economists or philosophers or newspapers or whatever, right? I don't know. Right. See, I mean, uh, but that's, I, I that's interesting. Be, I would be right. That's interesting because yeah. the, the 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 interesting thing, right, 
you'd still you'd be tempted to, right? And and you, you would absolutely yeah, want to, you because of course you'd recognize yeah. that if you gave up on that principle, there'd be no point fighting anything, right? Then it's just like, well, we're in fascism, we're in a dictatorship. Hopefully, it won't last more than a couple of hundred years and whatever, right? Get my head down and go join everybody else in the Soviet in the Soviet mine or gulag or whatever. But at some point, the values that you have would be violated to the point where you would consider, consider, and I'm sure you would, violate the law. Right. right? But that just hasn't happened to you yet. The stuff you like isn't illegal. But the stuff that right. other people like is illegal. Like drugs or prostitution or, you know, whatever, all the other stuff that gets manufactured to, to, to get thrown into, right? getting a job, <laughs> being paid under the table, going from Mexico to Canada. Like it's just that w what you and I like hasn't been made illegal yet. So then we look at these people and say, well, why the hell are you defying the law? Why don't you just obey it? Well, that's easy for us to say because what we like isn't illegal. Hmm. But if, 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 if FDR and, and Murray Rothbard and, and uh, Illy Rockwell, and if, if all of these places, if it was illegal to go there and you were 99.99999% sure you'd never get caught or you know you'd pass around photocopied articles that couldn't be traced through your IP or whatever right that you you would not say well that's it well I've made it illegal so I'm now never going to read anything other than state approved propaganda again right then the temptation for you to start moving outside the law would be that much greater and I think that's where you need to get to in terms of really understanding the decision I'm not saying it's the right way to fight the law I mean, fight the law I don't think it is but in terms of putting yourself into other people's shoes, this is um, where to go. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's interesting because uh, I read about stories about people living in in, uh, in Soviet Russia and and how they they had to pass around um, copies of of these manuscripts, uh, and I I can't help but but think you know yeah good for them. Um, but and it's terrible when they get caught that they get arrested. But I think you're right. I, I think that that um, it's because it's something I could I could see myself doing, whereas I can't see myself uh, driving without a license. Uh, what if they? Uh, the, what if the draft were passed? Right. Oh, I'd, I'd move to Canada. Well, see, but this is exactly what uh, what we're talking about, right? See, as soon as it starts to yeah. hit home for you, then you're like, "Fuck the law! I'm out of here!" Right? And if if they say right. it's illegal. For you to, to move to Canada, would you say, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll go shoot Iraqis then, right? No, you'd find some other way to get right. out. Yeah. And, and it's different yeah. for everyone, right? But it's, it's hard to judge those people who have a different threshold from you. We can, we can criticize their, you know, the usefulness of what they're doing, right? I don't think that getting tasered talking to John, to, to, um, John Kerry is going to do smack to free the world. But this is their, their tolerance threshold. This is what their, their values are that are being violated, right? And yeah, this guy was like he's a he's a notorious like looking for attention kind of guy or whatever, right? But but we have you have to sort of say, well, what the hell am I gonna like? If you want to understand the black experience, you say, well, what's gonna happen if I get drafted? Right? And getting drafted is less risky than going to prison. Right? So right, yeah. If you go to prison, you're definitely gonna get get brutalized. You're gonna, definitely gonna get brutalized. You're definitely gonna you're gonna. I mean, if you go to the you, you can at least cower. <laughs> down in, in a firefight or maybe you'll get a desk job or you know maybe you'll just sit around you know hurry up and wait's the motto of the army you'll just you know whatever right i mean the number of people who actually end up shooting people dead in the army is very few whereas everyone gets brutalized right. in prison right so if you want to understand the black community imagine that you're going to get drafted to the front lines for 10 years right well what are you going to do 
you're going to be pretty hysterical and tense, right? And you're going to have a very different right. relationship to the state than you and I have, right? So it's just about escalating the stimuli until it matches what is obviously happening for these people. And that's how I would suggest getting into the skin of, of what they're doing. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, of course, this, this girl, I mean, the, the girl in the video, the, the question is also the parenting, right? I have been meaning, though I don't even know where to start as far as this goes. A couple of months ago, gosh, six or eight months ago, we had a gentleman from Africa on this show who was telling us about this, that, or the other to do with Africa. And what I didn't get a chance to ask him, which I would love to ask, and if there's anyone who's listening to this who's from Africa or from that kind of culture, tell me what the parenting is like in Africa. Because when I look at the systems in Africa and how brutal and violent and ridiculous they all are, uh, of course, I think foreign aid, and I think the sale of arms, and I think the tribalism, and so on. But I gotta understand, like when you have a whole bunch of people willing to commit genocide in Rwanda, how the hell are they raised? What kind of parenting and 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 punishment were they exposed to, where their empathy was crushed to the point where they become pure sociopaths? And not just a few, but quite a few. Uh, so, I mean, this is the other kind of thing. It's like, what kind of parenting was this girl exposed to? Is this cop the straw that broke the camel's back? Was she beaten uh, from from day one by? a series of, of drug-addicted boyfriends of her welfare-squatting mother, to take a ridiculous uh, kind of stereotype. But, but this could be the case. It was just, just one goddamn thing, and she just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, it, it's, hard, it's hard for us to know, but I think it's worth uh, examining that because uh, these people could... I mean, we could really help the black community, right? Because they freed themselves from slavery, got trapped in welfare and religion which arguably is a softer and, and, and more pervasive kind of, at least a slave openly resents being owned, right? But this kind of stuff is horrible. Trapped in bad schools, trapped in welfare ghettos, trapped in, in prison. Uh, we could really help the black community, but I don't think we're going to get there by saying, well, I, as a middle-class white guy, would not have done the same thing in that situation, so that's not right. You know, I mean, I understand it, but I'm just saying that, uh, you know, to, uh, to our, our ebony brothers and sisters, it, uh, <laughs> you know, it might not be the best way to open dialogue. Okay, uh, that um, I think that that's very helpful. Okay, good. Well, uh, I'm uh, I'm glad that uh, you submitted to the endless scale of words, and I hope that <laughs> that was helpful. <laughs> no, thanks for bringing it up. I know that I got I got some emails about that too. That people are like, well, why doesn't she just hamana hamana, right? And of course, we have the same thing when we look back at Weimar Germany. It's like, well, why didn't they just understand that Hitler was a nut job and not vote for him and so on? But you know, human beings are human beings are human beings, right? And uh, as I sort of argue about in, in On Truth, the book, there is um, a sensitivity to culture that we need to have and that if we've been born in that situation, we may very well have ended up doing the same thing. We can't take the, right. the gifts that were given to us, you know, we can't inherit the privilege of being middle class and white and say, well, I'm a great businessman. In the same, sorry, well, I'm, I'm a reasonable human being, right? Because we just weren't subjected to the same forces. It's like taking an inheritance and saying, I'm a great businessman because look at all the money I have. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. An excellent, excellent question. And uh, I will be more than happy to, uh, to, uh, to pass along the uh, baton of the microphone to any other runners in the race for truth. Ooh, overextended metaphor. But hey, not the first time and probably not the last. My imitation of crickets. I can keep going. I do tumbleweeds, but I'm not exactly sure what sound they make. Bats flying around. <laughs> <You can> Chew. <laughs> <laughs> a 
as they roll across the desert. Well, we can certainly have uh, an early stop to the show. If uh, people don't have any other questions or issues or problems, no problem. We're going to go and dig the, um, the parental alligator pit around the house, so we'll need a little bit of time while the light's still good. Uh, going once. Going twice. Going three times. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. I appreciate that. And uh, I will um, uh, post this. Uh, I think we actually had one that I don't need to edit, which is excellent. And uh, I will uh, post this uh, later tonight or first thing tomorrow. The book on Truth, the Tour, and Evolution available only eleven ninety five for the PDF download, fourteen ninety five for the fabulously read audiobook. And the uh, new book, UPB, should be out this week. And I'm going to release it as audiobook, as PDF, and as physical book. And uh, I hope that you will... Uh, buy it. I strongly urge you to buy it for you and yours. And uh, thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, I guess, relatively chilly, both climatology-wise and familial-wise Sunday afternoon. Have yourselves a wonderful week, everybody, and I will talk to you soon.